This afternoon I have a little different kind of message to bring. I want to start by asking you a question. We read in the scriptures that there were mighty men. David had his mighty men, and uh, you read of different ones that were said to be mighty. Do you think you're a mighty person, man or woman, whichever it be? If we were to ask, which of you are mighty men? Well, if we had a, I guess if we had a Mr. Atlas here, he'd right away throw his hand in the air. And to somebody else, they might think, well, I, I'm pretty strong, so in some other way, so I'll put my hand in the air. But I want to consider with you here this afternoon, what really makes a mighty person? And it's going to be a whole lot different than what man would deem it to be. So let's go over here to Judges chapter 6, verse 11, the story of Gideon. This was something that I began to think about and compare different places. And I guess it's one of these things where a sermon develops in your mind over a short amount of time or, you know, some days, perhaps even a week. And it was a comparison that I began to draw between all different names and places in the scriptures where either mighty men were mentioned or the contrast to that, the very opposite, those that had no strength. So let's just read a few of these verses, not too many, beginning at verse 11. I trust you know the story of Gideon and the conditions in Israel there in which they would be brought back to God and then they would drift away from God and God would deal with them. In the case of Gideon's story, or the story of Gideon, they had served idols. The Lord was angry with them. He sent the Midianites against them and the Israelites had to flee even into the hills and caves and mountains. The Midianites would come in in large numbers, great multitudes, and they just clear everything out, all of the fruit. And there's just something quite spiritual to think about on that, the, the fruit being taken away, stolen away. So let's come here to verse 11 of Judges 6. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained to Joash the Abra-Ezrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And now the Lord hath forsaken us and, and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And you notice how the wording changes a little bit here. The Lord looked upon him before it said an angel. Now it says the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. He's already called him a mighty man of valor. Now he says you go in this kind of might, this kind of strength. And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not, I sent thee. And then, of course, we have the way in which Gideon said, 
that he didn't know if he was capable of this. It didn't work. It wouldn't work for him, much like Moses spoke. And we could read another verse or two, verse 15. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And then he begins to put the first of several tests that he put to the angel of the Lord, or you could say the Lord. And the Lord was very gracious unto him. Now, before we consider this, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that the word that we look at here in this hour would be a very practical and useful word for us, for we do need this as we live upon this earth. We need to be strong. We remember how in the New Testament the Apostle would Give that word, that command even to be strong, to be strong in the things of God. And we pray that in considering this, we might set aside thoughts of strength of our own flesh or our own abilities and to recognize in ourselves we don't have this strength. We don't have the wherewithal to stand as we need to, but God in His grace can help us. So bless this word and be with us in this hour. We are thankful that we meet together here with fellow believers. It is a great privilege to do so. May there be fellowship around the word of God, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In James 4, verse 6, it says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. God has promised to be with many different people through Scripture. And of those people, and I was amazed how often there's some kind of reference to this, whether the exact wording is used in that way or not, but there's so many that it does kind of amaze you. But there was, there was such a wide variety of circumstances therein, but there are some common things that you find among all of them. And that is even what we find here in the story of Gideon. There is a very, what I'll call, a healthy distrust in self. I think it is healthy, too. You have a person that is confident in self, and you say, there's trouble ahead. The Lord's going to have to work with such a person. And so they would find themselves in situations that sometimes looked impossible. Gideon's situation was very much that way. Others found themselves in that kind of situation. As far as man was concerned, there was no way out. But God gives strength. And I know, and Brother Chamberlain and know, anybody with experience in the things of God knows, as you get a little along in life, you become, if the Lord has worked upon you and His grace has been good to you, you become more dependent upon the Lord, less upon self all the while. And that's a very good thing. I thought about it this way even. In the life of a believer, there is a certain sense of uncertainty, but not hopelessness. The Lord doesn't leave us uncertain about the future, and yet we don't know what today holds. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Sometimes we're not sure of how to handle things. 
uh, various things that might come to us that we need to make decisions on. So there can be a sense of uncertainty, and yet there is a trust in God that develops and grows with age. And it's a very good thing. It's, it's something the Lord leads His people through this. I think of old Jacob whenever he was asked what his age was, and he said, few and evil have been my days. But he had to admit the Lord led him all the way. So there's other places that we find this kind of thing said, maybe with a little different wording. For instance, let me give you a couple from the Old Testament here. Exodus 13.21 And the Lord went before them, being Israel, by day in a pillar of cloud, and led them by the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. Well, there's things that can happen, and sometimes it may seem like more of a daytime and sometimes more of a nighttime. But God does lead His people by day and by night. There's something very much in a spiritual realm in that wording. God also said this, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. What a blessed promise that was, that He would dwell among them and be their God. Many times, the presence of God with His people may not be recognized, at least for a time. I'm speaking about the natural appearance or how man looks upon it. It may not look like it. For instance, consider the Lord Jesus and His disciples. Here He was claiming to be sent from heaven above, sent from the Father. He has just a few fishermen around Him. So few, so simple of men. And yet by and by they learned there was no stopping the work of God. It was pressing right on. So man can't recognize it. Often it's been that way. But then I want to say a few things about the opposite of the Lord. You know, he said he'd be with him. He said he'd, that he'd be a mighty man. And that was because of the strength of God given him. But what about the opposite whenever... Either God isn't with a person or He withdraws His His grace from them for a time or His strength from them for a time. Or worse yet, if it is withdrawn for good. Oh, what a serious thought that is. In the story of Samson, we have numerous times that it mentions the Spirit of the Lord. After his birth, shortly after his birth, it says the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan. He probably was getting to be a young man at that point or something of that nature. And the Spirit of God began to move upon him. Again, in the next chapter, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he rent him, rent the lion in pieces. A little later in the same chapter, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He slew 30 men of Ashkelon. And this is the, the way that we find the life of Samson in those years. It tells again of the Philistines and how they came upon him and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He put many of them to death. But we know the story well that really what happened with him, he began to depend upon that strength. He looked at his natural strength and he said, I can deliver myself. And he dared to put himself in situations that a child of God should never be in. Listen to the wording here. We know these stories so well, but sometimes as you're thinking of a certain 
subject or a certain matter, certain words jump out at you. This is what it says about Samson there as he rested on the knees of Delilah. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. Well, what does that have to do with it? God had said, God had commanded, this was to to break that command. This was against what God had said. That's what it's all about. And invariably, and this is what we're going to find in this, it comes down to obedience or disobedience. Might, strength, or no might. God not being with a person if they won't obey, or God is with the person if they will obey. So here he is, he's sleeping of all things. Asleep. When he should be awake, he should be fleeing for his life, getting out of there. He should be doing what Joseph did when he fled from the wife of his master. And it says she began to afflict him. Isn't that something that says that? And his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed. He didn't know that God had departed from him. They put out his eyes. They carried him away, put him in prison. There he began to grind, grind the wheat. But by and by, his hair started growing back. God gave him back his strength finally. We do find Samson's name in the faith chapter of the Bible. Something to take note of. Another story I'll mention too would be the Israelites. This was in the days of Eli and his sons. And they went out to battle against the Philistines. But they were smitten before the Philistines. And they gathered back in camp that night and they said, What happened? Why did we fall before the Philistines? Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today is the way they worded it. Well, they figured it out. They said, oh, we know what happened. We forgot to bring the Ark of the Covenant. That's what it was. And they used the Ark as a bit of a a superstitious thing. Bring the Ark. It's like this good omen. Everything is fine. It reminds me so much of those that will, by some kind of good deed or good work, or membership of a church, say, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven. They think that membership equates into knowing God. So they give a shout. The Philistines hear it, and they're alarmed by it. And the Philistines say it this way, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. You see, they also equated the ark as being God. Now, God did command that that ark would be built. If the Israelites' heart was right, it would be used in a proper fashion. But the ark wasn't God. It was the place where God would meet with them, where God would, would, uh, or their sins would be atoned before God. But it wasn't God Himself. So uh, they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. And they said they needed to uh, quit themselves like men. 
And so, according to their way of thought at least, they just strengthened themselves and, what do you know, they overcame the God of Israel. But they didn't do that at all. The fault, the problem was with Israel. Israel had no strength to stand. What a difference. They, they would pursue their enemies and slaughter their enemies when God was with them. But it would be turned completely around and a few would chase thousands of Israel if God was not with them. In this same chapter of 1 Samuel, after the ark was taken, the sons of Eli are dead. Eli has died now. There is that grandchild to Eli that was born, and the mother named the child Ichabod, which means there is no glory. It's actually worded slightly different in Scripture here because it says the glory is departed from Israel. But the literal is there is no glory, or in other words, it's inglorious. That's what it means. That is what man is without God, inglorious. All man says, look at me. And the world makes what they call celebrities. They celebrate them. But they fall under this Ichabod, the glory is gone. There is no glory. In fact, they're inglorious. So in this day, they were forced finally to say, the Lord is not with us. We proclaimed He was. We said that He was. We said that we'd bring the ark and He'd be with us. He is not with us. That's what every man outside of Christ has to admit. And sadly, many will admit it in eternity. Anyone that has to admit it then, all you can say is, woe be their soul. Another story, and I'll just mention this quickly because time gets away so soon. The story of Saul. This is another story that shows what it's like for a man that God is no longer with them. Saul seemed so promising. He stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He was one that appeared at first to be quite a choice. He was demanded, of course, of the people. God gave them what they asked for, but it certainly was not his plan or his ideal thing to have happen. But it says whenever David was anointed, and of course this is after Saul had disobeyed God, that Samuel took that horn of oil, anointing David's head. It says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. The next verse, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And this is the way that the rest of Saul's life went. This is only to deal with his earthly life. The Spirit of the Lord departed from an evil spirit. It's almost as though the moment God's hand of grace was taken from him, Satan attacked him. And he certainly is a figure of Satan the way he pursued David. As this story goes on, we find it again and again. For instance, in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. Now the context here is that David had come back from the slaughter of the Philistines. The women had had been uh, singing or chanting one to another, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was full of envy. He couldn't stand it. He wanted to be the greatest. He wanted to be the mighty man. But God was with David. And Saul also knew that there had been somebody else chosen. 
He knew that he was rejected. Samuel had said it to him. That's something we must keep in mind because there again you have the disobedience of Saul in in several different ways, not only in the Amalekite matter, but in accepting God's choice of David. So there's David. He's been called. He's playing the harp for, for Saul. And Saul cast the javelin at David, missing him. Every time this happened, it seems that Saul feared David all the more. David was no threat to Saul except in God's election. That's the only way. It says just a little bit later here, chapter 19, uh, verse 9, again, the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul. And he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. So it carries on like this. And finally, what was the end of Saul's life? As I look over here and I read to you from Second Samuel 28, he's gone to the witch of Endor. He's hopeless. He's beside himself. The Philistines have come out against him. Though he had put down the familiar spirits or those that would uh, seek familiar spirits, he goes to one, a witch. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment. And he went and two men with him. And it goes on to tell of how he came to the witch of Endor. And this is what Saul had to say. It came from his own mouth. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me. You know, people think that an eternity without God and without Christ is no issue to them. What difference will it make? They live this way now. They're happy. They think everything will be fine. No, it won't. They don't know what misery they're looking at. This right here shows you what it's like. Saul says, I am sore distressed. That's the soul without God. Every soul without God. Listen to what it says elsewhere in Scripture. Psalm 127. He giveth his beloved rest. David, even in that 51st Psalm where he confessed his sin, said, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I was looking into that verse a little bit more last night, and I noticed what Spurgeon said about this. He said, and this would be, he's saying what David was pleading with God about, Throw me not away as worthless, banish me not like Cain, from thy face and favor. Permit me to sit among those who share thy love, though I only be suffered to keep the door. I deserve to be forever denied admission to thy courts, but, O good Lord, permit me still the privilege which is dear as life itself to me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Withdraw not his comforts, his counsels, assistance, his quickenings. Else I am indeed as a dead man. Do not leave me as thou didst leave Saul, when neither by Urim nor by prophet nor by dreams thou wouldest answer him. Thy spirit is my wisdom. Leave me not to my folly. He is my strength. Oh, desert me not to my own weaknesses. That's what Spurgeon said about David's verse here. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Hosea said, Woe to them when I depart from them, speaking, of course, of what God would say through Hosea. What happened with Saul? He disobeyed God in the matter of 
Amalek. He rejected God's choice in King David. He set his face against God. All he would claim is just against David, but it was against God. And what happened to him? God set his face against Saul. In Leviticus, we find a number of times it's always in connection with disobedience that God said, I will set my face against such a man. I won't take time to read that with you, but he he repeats that five or six times throughout Leviticus. But contrary-wise, on the other side, there are those that it says the Lord's face would shine upon them. Is not what we desire. We come together here and we want the Lord's face to shine upon us. This is our desire. This is the cry of our heart. And like I said earlier, there's many ways that God speaks of this. For instance, whenever He would call Moses to come back to Egypt to lead the children of Israel out. Now remember, Moses had 40 years earlier attempted it in his own strength didn't work out because of how he did it. He had to flee for his life. Forty years later, he is brought back. And God says in this third chapter of Exodus, this is after Moses is quite concerned about going back. He doesn't think it'll work. God says, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto me that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. God says, certainly I will be with thee. If you'll look back to Numbers 23 with me, you'll see what even old Balaam had to say about it. Why, this is the last thing he wanted coming out of his mouth. But the false prophet couldn't help himself whenever God put this word in him. And he spoke words that he was not supposed to speak. He was hired to curse Israel. But he spoke these words, and they are actually true words, though they came from him. This is Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless And he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. I'll tell you, the blessings pronounced upon Christ and upon his children, no one can reverse. They cannot be taken away. And part of that blessing is the presence of God. What does that mean? People talk about the presence of God. Sometimes it's said in a way that you don't want to be involved in that sort of thing. You say, what in the world is that? It sounds superstitious. The presence of God is is seen in, in a number of ways that we could speak of here this afternoon, but it really comes down to this, God's leading for His children. And I say children, meaning those that are simple and humble, those that know they need the help of the Lord. And His help, His presence with them is their strength. God's presence is strength. And we'll see that in some verses here as we come closer to the end. Whenever Israel sinned against God, he commanded that the tabernacle be pitched outside of the camp. He would not be with them. It was as though he would lead them, but from afar. This was something they mourned and wept over. Moses went out and spoke to God. 
And his desire in his heart, the thing that he needed, he had to have this, is he had to know, is the Lord with us or not? As we go up to the promised land, it's no promised land if the Lord isn't with us. And it's a very instructive thing. And it says this in Exodus 33, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he returned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people. And again, I say to you, this was a a task of impossible proportions for a man to do this. There was no way he could do this without God providing for them and leading them. They wouldn't know which way to go. How would they feed so many people? All of the needs they'd have, how would they protect them even? So this is what Moses is bringing before God. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. And consider that this nation is thy people. Have you rejected them? Or are they the people of God? And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us up not hence. Don't lead us in that way, if the Lord isn't with us. Well, I come back to this portion that we're in about Gideon. We won't spend much time upon it. We're using it rather as more of the principle of it and and what we find in a story like this and comparing it to some other places. When you read here in chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, the words spoken unto Gideon, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. There's no appearance of strength. There's nothing he's doing that's outstanding. In fact, he's hiding. He's threshing wheat at the wine press. That's not where you're supposed to thresh wheat. He was hiding from the Midianites. He didn't appear to be a mighty man of valor. He didn't take up a sword and go fight a battle and begin overcoming them. He's hiding. He is working. I will give him that. But he calls him a mighty man of valor. But let me show you a few verses that lets us know that God does give his own strength. And perhaps it'd be good if you turned here. Psalm 68, verse 35. Psalm chapter 68, verse 35. O God, thou art terrible out of thy holy places. The God of Israel is He that giveth strength and power unto His people. Blessed be God. This is where our strength comes from. We have no strength. We have no ability of ourselves to do anything in God's behalf or any kind of service for Him except in His strength. This is why the Apostle Paul said he could do all things. But there was that qualifying statement. It was through Christ. Couldn't do it of himself. How often do you see the little phrase, but they leave part of it off? The most important part. 
to the Colossians, Paul said, Strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience, long-suffering, with joyfulness. That's strength. Sometimes strength is patience. Many times it is. There are a multitude of verses you could read about this. Maybe one more place I'll turn to to read would be 2 Corinthians 12. And you can listen as if you'd like. Verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12. This is where Paul had that thorn in the flesh. He prays to God. He prayed thrice, three times that it might depart him. He was basically saying this, I can serve the Lord so much better if I didn't have this physical affliction. And God said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's strength is not made perfect in man's strength. It's the very opposite of that. Do you ever feel a little shaky? Now, I don't mean physically. But I mean, are there things that you face and you say, I don't know which way to turn on this. I'm not sure what to do on it. That is a good thing if you will turn to God and wait upon Him. He will give the answer. He'll give strength where it is needed. What do we find about Gideon in this story without going through it verse by verse? Let me name a couple things that we find about Gideon that are very interesting. First of all, he was busy whenever the angel came to him. Now, you might say, well, what does that have to do with it? Just because someone's busy doesn't necessarily mean anything. But so often God did use those people that were faithful in their work, in the things that are less important, and yet they are important. He was also a man that, as we find in this story, he was subject unto fears. In that 25th verse of Judges 6, whenever he was commanded of God to go cast down the altars and the idols of his father and his family, he was fearful. He did it by night. He didn't do it during the day. But he still did it. He did take ten of his servants with him. But he was still faithful to the word that God spoke. He had this distrust of self because several times he asked the Lord to prove that he was really doing the right thing. The Lord wasn't upset about it either. In those tests that, that Gideon asked for, the Lord was very kind, very good to him. And he proved to him this was the right thing. This is what God was calling him to do. Spurgeon said this about Gideon and these things that he did before the Lord as far as asking for the dew upon the fleece and the dew upon the ground, these different things. Spurgeon said, We are never so weak as when we think we are strong, and we are never so strong as when we know we are weak, and look out of ourselves to our God. Gideon also was a very obedient to God. It's a very unusual story because so often people might go a certain distance and then go no further. But in everything that God said to him that he must do this, he did it. And I think this is where his might came in. The fact that he would obey God, it started in smaller things, he grew to larger things, and this is why he was called a mighty man of valor. 
It was the Lord's strength in him, working through him. He was not a person that was extraordinary as far as his his height or his strength, his physical strength. He wasn't even like Samson as far as the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him. But he was very faithful in doing the work of God. Gideon was also a mighty man of valor in that he stood against his own family. That's one of the most difficult things to do. The people of his town called for his death because of what he'd done. They hated it so much. Listen to some things from the New Testament. This is the Apostle Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known. And the point that I am making here is man might fail him, but God stood by him. Let us not be so concerned about men. We spoke in this day about the great blessings of friendships in the Lord, and it is. But there are times that we'll have to stand and want to stand by ourselves. But we're not standing by ourselves. The Lord will be near to us. If we will be faithful to Him, He will certainly be faithful to us. Or listen to what the Lord said to Paul. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak. Hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. There's a number of times that the Lord spoke that way to Paul and to others for that matter. And when God says He'll be with you, He will be with you. As I look at this story of Gideon, I want you to notice what Gideon says in the 13th verse, because this lends some light to the subject of a mighty man of valor. So this is Judges 6, verse 13. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord, if Jehovah be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And he goes back and he starts to talk about the past, how God worked with the forefathers, delivering them, bringing them out of Egypt. With this question, which is also really a statement also, in response to it, verse 14, the Lord looks upon him, and that's more than just a little glance, for it is a look as though it's a look of of a turning the face towards him, it means, a look of acknowledgement, even of respect towards what he just said. And how does he answer him? Go in this thy might. How is that strength? Did that have anything to do with strength whatsoever? Well, it sure did. Because he was saying, the Lord was with us. He's looking back and he's saying, what happened? The Lord was with us. We hear of our our forefathers being brought out out of Egypt. But it's not the same now. God isn't with us. And in so many words, the Lord is saying, you have caught on to the problem. They left off the things of God, and God left them. This is where their strength went from them. This is where they could no longer stand before their enemies. So he says, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from all the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? He says, Now I am 
the least in my family, and our family is poor, very small. There's no way we can do anything like this. But God assures him, have not I sent you? Who is the one that sent you? Surely I will be with thee, verse 16, and thou shalt smite the Midianites. And then, of course, Gideon goes on here. But uh, I bring this message to a close by saying, you see the sort of character, the sort of person that the assuring word of God comes to them. Not self-confident people, not proud people. God resisteth the proud. It comes to people that God has chosen, but they understand of their own weakness. This is our strength. This is truly where strength lies. And so as we look at this man that was sent of God, this man Gideon, he brings before us a number of things that are very important. In the very start of the command of God to him, there must be a life that is consecrated. Get rid of the idols. Cast down those altars. Get rid of all of that. He was called to cast all of that aside. It was part of his father's belongings and things, the families and the cities. It was a very difficult task he had before him. But he believed God. He carried out this command. He was faithful to it. And God worked through him and in him. I found an interesting paragraph in the pulpit commentary where he was speaking of this very thing of how the Lord looked upon him saying, Go in this thy might and so on. And this is the the paragraph I want to read to you. Through its influence, a present consolation and an eternal reward was secured. Has God sent us? Now, what he's speaking of is the fact that God sent him and God called him to this. Has, has God sent us? Then he will take note of our behavior and sustain our flagging strength. Has God sent us? Our service cannot be for earthly gain. He is our master as he sends no man a warfare at his own charges. He has that in quotes, a little saying, God does not send a man a warfare at his own charges. So the saint is sustained by the hope of the crown of the glory that fadeth not away. So this man Gideon had much assurance from God. God was very kind and patient with him as he put out these different tests to make sure this was really what he understood from God. So in closing, I say this to you. Gideon was not a man of war. He was not somebody that was was uh, trained out ahead of time. Nor was he like Saul that stood above everybody else. Saul was a tall man. He appeared to the Israelites to be, this is the one. This is what we need. No, it wasn't. Saul did not have faith. He did not believe God. Gideon did not have great mental capacities. It wasn't like he was a, uh, you know, a great planner or a strategist to say, I can go to war. I can figure out how to do it. No, he simply had to obey the command of God. In doing so, God would be with him. God stood with him and, and even strengthened him. And he was a mighty man of valor in that sense. 
As you think about this, you'll realize that a person that is unregenerate cannot have strength. Not the right kind of strength. They will try and exert strength. It's all in the flesh. We have no strength of our own. When you find a person that is outside of God's will, or one that is disobedient to God, he is not in Christ, any of these things, he actually has no strength whatsoever, though he thinks he is very strong. He is left to his own devices, and he will surely fall. But what does God say about his own? He gives strength unto his own. Not only that, he gives them rest and peace. It doesn't matter the age of the person. A younger person is not going to have the experience that an older person will have. But God will surely lead every one of us through difficulties in life. And we will need his strength. If we don't have it, it will become evident at some point. And it does us good to go through these things and for our faith to build and be built through the things that God leads us through. So let us look upon all of the difficulties in life in the right light. They are a means by which God works in us, strengthening us, making us what we should be as far as even these mighty men. You read that whole list of mighty men that David had, and you think, I couldn't do that. That wouldn't be me. But in Christ, there is strength given us. We don't know what we might have to face. We don't know what we might have to stand against. But there will be strength given us. Well, let's bow our heads in closing. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that we would take hold of this and use it in a very practical sense. We pray that souls that be without Christ would recognize they don't have this strength. They don't have the grace of God upon them. The Lord is not with them. Rather, He is even against them. So what a state they are in. We pray that they would repent and turn to Christ. Help us each, though, to live daily in His will and therefore in His strength. We do give thanks that God is so good unto His people as to not leave us to our own devices, our own way to figure out how we should go, but rather He will lead us. Give us the patience we need and be long-suffering with us, we pray, for we know that we are sometimes very slow to be receptive to the things of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.